Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together getting into the Word today. We are entering the final stages of our three-year journey through the Bible. We're calling uh, the these current four messages uh, mission critical because uh, things are really ramping up with uh, the mission objectives in the book of Acts. Um, this week uh, we see um, Paul's third missionary journey come to an end as we pick up in chapter 21 uh, where he is heading hard for Jerusalem. So chapter 21, Acts 21 and verse, uh, verse 1, it says, and when we had departed from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to uh, Patera. Uh, now, language scholars like F.F. F. Bruce uh, say that the text here is more literally uh, when we had torn ourselves away from them, and that's how the uh, NIV, uh, the New International Version, reads. Uh, the them here are the elders of the church of Ephesus. Uh, Paul had sent word to, to them, to the elders, to meet him at Miletus. Uh, and chapter 20 uh, contains the content of that meeting. We didn't get to teach through that famous farewell address uh, there, but hopefully uh, uh, you've read through. Um, uh, but it was uh, the, the, the words of Paul to them when he said, you'll never see my face again. That comment apparently was what hit them the hardest. And uh, how, how did Paul know that he would, they would never see his face again? Well, if you've read chapter 20, then you already know the answer uh, to that. And hopefully you, um, you've read that. Um, we've been noting the consistent usage of the term brothers and considering the amazing truth of, of, of us as Christians being uh, family and the wonderfulness of that is also what makes saying goodbye uh, really, really tough. Um, so verses 2, verse 2 through 6, it says, And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come uh, in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. There was a ship uh, to, uh, there it was uh, unloaded its cargo, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, um, uh, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Uh, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on a journey. And uh, they all, with their wives and children, uh, accompanied us until we uh, were outside the city. And then kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the, the ship. And uh, they returned, uh, returned home. So another gut-wrenching farewell here. E even though they'd only been uh, with them for a week. Uh, so let's, let's keep uh, reading. Verse 7 says, When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for, for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, uh, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who 
who prophesied. Uh, while we were staying uh, for many days, uh, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming to us. He took Paul's belt and bound his feet and his hands, and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will, the, will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Uh, when, he, when we heard this, we and the people were there urged him, that's Paul, not to go uh, to uh, Jerusalem. Now, uh, Philip here is uh, Philip the Evangelist, as, as he's referred to here, and probably referred to as such to distinguish him from uh, Philip the Apostle, who's one of the 12. This Philip is not one of the 12. He's one of the seven, though. If you uh, check out um, Acts chapter 6 and 7, you'll, uh, you'll see that there. Uh, presumably this is the same Agabus who prophesied here uh, as we met in, um, in Acts chapter uh, 11 uh, when he predicted an oncoming famine uh, there at that time. Uh, now this is the second prophetic warning then given through people to Paul as he made his way to Jerusalem um, about what would be awaiting him in Jerusalem. Uh, you can see verse 4 and you can see verse 11 and 12 in chapter 21 where those two separate instances warning Paul of what was to come by the Spirit. And some people think that's problematic because we have people at Tyre speaking by the Spirit's clear revelation warning Paul of what was in his path. And then we have Agabus here in the passage we just read. And then at the same time we have Paul headbound for Jerusalem under the clear compulsion of the, of the Spirit. Uh, but the thing is, uh, Paul is not going to Jerusalem under any illusions. Uh, I take a quick look back with me, if you will, at um, uh, chapter 20 and verse uh, 22. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul says there to the Ephesian elders, he says, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions um, await me. But I do not account my life, this is verse 24, I do not ac account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the, the grace of God. Uh, we see here that uh, the Spirit combined the compulsion that he placed upon Paul to go to Jerusalem with the warnings of what will happen when he does go. Um, so getting back to our uh, passage in Acts 21 then, uh, verse 13, uh, Paul says, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not uh, be persuaded, we ceased and, and said, uh, let the Lord's will uh, be done. Um, verse 15 says, after these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And uh, some of the disciples uh, from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom uh, we should lodge. So Paul arrives then in Jerusalem. And he arrives with the same kind of unflinching determination that Jesus showed uh, when he set his face for Jerusalem. Do you remember that? Um, 
this uh, would be an important observation for us to make because uh, Luke chronicles a significant number of parallels between Jesus and Paul throughout these chapters that we're in at the, uh, in these days. Uh, too many and too striking to be anything other than intentional uh, descriptors uh, that Luke is giving us. So let me just quickly profile those uh, for us uh, today. Uh, there are at least eight parallels between Paul's experiences in these ch uh, uh, chapters and the experience that Jesus had when he uh, entered Jerusalem for the last time. First of all, there's the warm welcome that both of them received upon entering uh, the city. Secondly, the lynching mob only a few days later shouting away with him. Uh, he isn't fit to live. Uh, thirdly, uh, both Paul and Jesus were arrested by their own people without real cause and imprisoned. Fourthly, both faced trumped-up charges. Uh, fifthly, both were slapped in the face while facing those charges. Uh, sixthly, both were victims of secret assassination plots by their own people. Uh, number seven, both endured a series of five successive trials. Um, and and, and eight, uh, the eighth parallel... Both were declared to be innocent by the uh, Roman authorities, and that's important. Three times in the Gospel according to Luke, the Roman authorities declared Jesus innocent. Uh, Luke 23, uh, verses uh, 4, uh, verses 14, 15, and verse 22, if you're looking for those. And then likewise, three times in these chapters, uh, in Acts, after 23, uh, chapters 23 through 26, uh, we have Paul declared innocent by the Roman authorities. That's chapter 23, chapter 25, and, and chapter 26. Now, uh, Sir William Ramsey <clears throat> made much of this in his, uh, in his writing uh, book uh, called St. Paul, uh, The Traveler and the Roman Citizen. And he wrote, writes there that it is beyond doubt that the amount of space assigned to Paul's imprisonment and successive examinations marks this as the most important part of the book in the author's estimation. In other words, the part of the book of Acts that we are into presently in these weeks is the part that contains the information that Luke seems to care the most about. Now, if Ramsey is correct, and this really is the most important part of the book of Acts, it would seem important for us then to answer the question why it is so or what it is that makes it so why it is so important, what it is that makes it so important. What do you, what do you think? Have you, have you read through uh, these sections and thought about uh, what is being emphasized throughout uh, these, uh, these portions? Um, let, me, let me take a quick run with you through the narrative, uh, and then we'll revisit the big why, what question. So we're in Jerusalem. Paul's in Jerusalem now, and uh, first he goes and he meets with James. James uh, Again, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, who we saw leading the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, if you recall that. that. Um, now, the collection that Paul has received from the churches abroad is with him. And he has it in his hand, presumably. And uh, you can read 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 that talk all about that, that uh, collection that Paul did for the saints at uh, Jerusalem. Uh, again, there's that emphasis on brotherhood and on family and, and, uh, and, and loving and caring for one another. 
Uh, so Paul tells James uh, and the others all about the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And the text says that when he, uh, they heard it, they glorified God. That's in verse 20. And uh, then James says, Paul, we have a problem. He, he, he goes on to explain, many thousands of the Jews have come to trust Christ, as you can see, which of course is a, is a good thing, but he says they are zealous for the law. And the popular rumor around town is that you, Paul, are out there teaching the Jews uh, that live among the Gentiles that they should forsake Moses and not circumcise their children and not walk according to our customs. Uh, in other words, uh, stop being Jewish. Uh, now, this wasn't really accurate, uh, but it presented a problem uh, for them, and uh, the early church did have its problems, you remember, right? So then James says uh, to Paul, he says, we have a plan. And so uh, let's just read Acts 21, verse 23, uh, read a little bit about, about that plan. Um, Do therefore what, I, what we tell you, James says to Paul, we have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. That's, uh, you remember that from, uh, from the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Uh, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each uh, one of them. Now, uh, people have struggled to understand this because it appears like a flip-flop for, uh, for Paul to do this, especially if you read, uh, you know, like read the book of Galatians, which we did recently. And, uh, but what we need to understand is that Paul didn't teach Jews to give up their Jewish customs so much as uh, to stop depending on those customs to save them. Uh, remember, Paul was a Jew, uh, but he was sent by God to the Gentiles. Uh, and the obstacles that he seemed to encounter on mission uh, all the time were Jews wanting to make Jews out of Gentiles and, uh, by putting them under the law, and in conjunction with that, uh, of thinking that they, Jews, as, as well as Gentiles, were saved by keeping the law rather than uh, by grace through faith. And we've, we've looked at that. Um, but as we uh, observed a few weeks back, Paul didn't hesitate to identify with Jews and their customs um, in his own Jewishness uh, as part of the process for winning them for Christ. And you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Specifically, verse 20, especially at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he explains that methodology there to the Corinthians. Um, so being a Jew, Paul goes ahead and he engages in this customary seven-day Jewish purification rite. Uh, and things seem to be going okay until almost the last day when some Jews from the province of Asia spot Paul in the temple. And they recall seeing uh, Trophimus a Gentile from Ephesus in the city with Paul earlier, and they put two and two together and wrongfully assume that Paul has taken Trophimus into the temple. Well, sir, they grab Paul, and they start to crying out, Men of Israel, help, 
This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. That's in verse, uh, up to verse 28. Well, it got really crazy really fast. It says the whole city was in a stir. People came running from everywhere. They dragged Paul out of the temple area. They shut up the gates. Uh, they start beating him, and the text indicates that they would have killed him if it weren't for the Roman tribune uh, noticing the commotion and quickly arriving on scene with an armed guard. Uh, he quickly arrests Paul, and they bind him in chains, actually rescuing him from certain death, in effect, from the crowd. Um, and then they head off with him toward the barracks, the Antonio Fortress, uh, as it was called, it was situated right there at the eastern end of the uh, second wall at the northwestern corner of the temple courts. And uh, Luke says that the, the soldiers were actually carrying Paul, if you can picture that, to protect him from this angry mob that was shouting away with him. Now let's just pick up in verse uh, 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? And are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps of the fortress there, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, uh, saying, and then it uh, records Paul's uh, sh sharing of his, uh, his, his testimony, among other things. So Luke uh, shares uh, the account of Paul's conversion uh, he shared it back in chapter 9, if you will remember that. And he will share it two more times in the book of Acts, here in chapter 22 and again in chapter 26. About both of these times, it will be Paul publicly sharing his own experience. Now, each of these three accounts have the same uh, basic outline, but the emphasis is a little different each time. And here in chapter 22, on the steps of the Antonio Fortress, Paul speaks courageously to this Jewish mob, and he seems to place emphasis on three things. Uh, please read this if you, if you haven't already. But the three things he seems to emphasize there are, number one, his faithful Jewishness, Paul's faithful Jewishness. Number two, his zeal for the God of his fathers. And what Paul seems to be striving for here is to get the, the, the crowd to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of, their, all of the law. Uh, remember Jesus said that. He didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And the third thing that he emphasizes here, if you read through, is that he emphasizes his real-life encounter with the crucified and resurrected Jesus. You may remember from Acts chapter 9 when we were there, the dramatic transformation in the life of Saul of Tarsus that's explainable only by the reality of this encounter that he speaks of here. Uh, it's, his, it's his testimony. 
And then the, the last thing that Paul says to this angry mob who are suddenly quiet and listening um, is, is also very significant. It could be considered maybe, that maybe a fourth emphasis. Uh, let's pick it up in uh, verse uh, 21 of chapter 22. It says there that he said to them, uh, and this is him quoting Jesus, remember, on the road to Damascus, where Jesus said to him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul is sharing here, and when he gets to this part, it says in verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then, when, when Paul said, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles, that's when they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. <laughs> now, this is clearly a focal point. We've seen this consistently as the, the big stumbling block for the Jews. They listen to Paul right up to this point uh, when he mentions the Gentiles and his uh, commission uh, under the authority of Christ to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles. And at that point, right there, they stop listening. They stop their ears. They yank off their jackets, verse uh, 23, and, start, and they start throwing dirt in the air and yelling, get this guy out of here. He isn't fit to live. So the Roman tribune immediately orders the soldiers to rush Paul into the barracks and prepare him for flogging so he can find out what is going on. And it says there that they are stretching him out, verse 25, to start the whipping, if you can picture this. They're stretching him out. And Paul says to the centurion, who's been charged with the flogging, he says, uh, So, uh, uh, is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried or found guilty of anything? Well, the centurion, he's, he's mortified. He runs off, tells the tribune, and uh, there was no flogging that night. And we are meant to take note for sure here that Paul's Roman citizenship uh, saves his hide once again. That's significant. Then the next day, the tribune calls for the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the elders, uh, the ruling council of the Jews, uh, to, to come together so that he can find out what is going on and what it is that they have against Paul. Uh, so when they, they've assembled, he brings Paul down. This is the next day, right? Um, he brings Paul down and he sets Paul before them, you know, this ruling council of the Jews. And uh, Paul does something very strategic at this point. Uh, we'll pick it up, chapter 23 and verse uh, 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. Uh, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisee party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken uh, to him. 
<laughs> the, the text goes on to say that things became violent again, and the tribune had to have Paul removed for fear that, uh, that Paul would be torn to pieces, it says in verse 10. So back uh, to the barracks they go with Paul. And then that night, something very special happens. Uh, are you ready to think about this? Some, this is special. Um, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Uh, do you think that over the course of the last 24 hours, Paul may have wondered at times what was going to happen to him? Do you think he was ever afraid? But what an incredible uh, comfort it must have been for him to hear these words from Jesus. Now, he'd already shown exceptional courage. But this would have cemented his fortitude like nothing else. You know, Jesus comes to him in the night. He says, Paul, you're going to Rome. You're going to Rome, Paul. You're not going the way you wanted to go. <laughs> you're, not, you're not going the way you imagined you, you uh, maybe that you would go, but, but you're going. So the next day, more than 40, 40 Jewish men, they devise a plot. They go to the chief priests and the elders, and they take an oath that they won't eat until they've killed Paul. Word gets out, and, and, and Paul's sister's son somehow catches wind of this. And so he goes and uh, tells Paul, and Paul sends him to the tribune. And the tribune writes a letter to the Roman governor Felix... You can read it there in Acts chapter 23, verses 25 through 30. He writes the letter. He assembles 200 soldiers plus 70 on horseback and 200 with spears. And he, that's, a, that's quite a contingency, eh? Uh, they put Paul on a horse and they whisk him off to Caesarea by night with the letter. When they arrive at the fortress palace at Caesarea... Felix comes and he reads the letter. And when he hears that Paul is from uh, Tarsus in the province of Cilicia, he agrees to hear, hear uh, Paul's case. So uh, Paul will spend two years in Caesarea uh, under guard. But he, he will get to share the gospel during that time. You could say that he's a, a captive with an audience. And it's also believed that during these two years, Luke... Uh, who was free in Jerusalem, uh, used that time, those, 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 those two years, to, to do all his research for the gospel according to Luke, uh, as well as the early chapters of the book of Acts prior to his joining the apostolic team uh, at Troas, uh, in Acts, uh, recorded in Acts chapter 16. So, so uh, the rejection of the gospel by the nation of Israel is graphically set out in these chapters here yet once again. It's impossible to miss it. Uh, John Stott says that the line in chapter 21, verse 30, about the mob dragging Paul from the temple and then shutting up the gates, 
could even be uh, seen as a, as a literary symbolism of a sort, of final rejection, uh, dramatic symbolism, if you will, of the final rejection of the gospel by, by the Jews, and particularly the leadership of the nation. But Luke's depiction of the Jewish authorities being consistently adverse and hostile to the gospel is something that he also sets in contrast uh, to the non-Jewish world and the Roman authorities in particular. Uh, Luke consistently frames the Romans and their laws and justice in good light. Uh, and these two themes, the rejection of the, of the Jews and the uh, good light shone on the, the, the Gentiles or the Romans, are, these two themes are interwoven throughout the overall narrative. Uh, you could say that Luke uh, takes pains to showcase it. Um, uh, there's various uh, Gentiles and centurions in uh, the Gospel uh, of Luke, and you know his account there. Uh, uh, Cornelius at Caesarea in Acts chapter 10. Uh, the proconsul of Cyprus, Sergius Paulus, in Acts chapter 13. The magistrates at Philippi in Acts 16. Uh, Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia at Corinth in chapter 18. The town clerk in Ephesus in chapter 19. And here in this text that we're in now, uh, Claudius Lysias, the, the tribune, Acts chapter 21. So why, the question then, why? Why does Luke take such pains to showcase this? On the one hand, the rejection of the Jews, the hostility of the Jews to the gospel, and on the other hand, the sympathetic uh, framing of the, uh, the Roman uh, authorities. Uh, and for that matter, why, why was Paul so determined to get to Jerusalem uh, even in the, in the first place? Even, even though he had a, a pretty good idea of what awaited, for him, awaited him there, or, uh, and even though his, his goal was to get to, to, uh, to Rome. Uh, why? Why, why, why? Um, how did the apostle himself understand all, all of these things? That's what I want to just kind of try to, to wrap this up with. Uh, do you remember when Paul and Silas were on their first missionary journey and they were in Antioch of Pisidia? And the Jews there predominantly rejected the gospel message that they brought them. Um, do you remember that? Let's take a quick look. Chapter uh, 13 and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to, to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now check out these statements from the book of Romans. Again, written by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Now jump with me to Romans chapter 9, and look at these verses. I am, and this is Paul in Romans chapter 9. 
uh, verse 1, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my spirit. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Strong. These are strong words. Uh, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Think back with me 30 years prior to our current text in in Acts chapter 21, 22, 23. 30 years before this, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. Or in the King James Version, your house is left desolate. It's been 30 years now. And in 10 short years... Jerusalem will be destroyed, and the temple will be flattened. Not one stone will be left upon another, which Jesus predicted in Luke chapter 21, verse 6. But now take a look at these words. Stay with me. Just hang with me just a little bit longer here. Take a look at these words from Acts, uh, or sorry, from Romans chapter 11. Verse starting at verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. Verse 28 says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Speaking to the Gentiles of the Jews, Paul says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And then um, Paul concludes with these, his thoughts with these words, For God has consigned all to a disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his, his ways. Do you remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Missiologically speaking, evangelism starts at home. But more theologically or Christologically speaking, evangelism begins 
at Jerusalem with the Jews. God is not done with Israel. Are you watching the news? God is not done with Israel. Maybe, maybe when the Jews are ready to accept the Gentiles, they will be ready to accept Christ because God is not done with with the Jews. Listen to these words that Jesus said in Luke chapter 13 after he taught, after he wept over Jerusalem saying, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a, a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He says the, these words, I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To reject to reject Christ is to invite destruction, but God doesn't give up on people. And as long as there is breath, there is hope because of the great mercy of God. That's what Paul emphasizes in Romans chapter 11, the mercy of God. Why don't you pray with me this this morning as we try to think about the significance of some of these these just tremendous passages of Scripture and the truths that come to us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we've covered a lot of ground here this morning. We we have um, thought through and talked through a lot of of the storyline, a lot of narrative, and and some of the implications of it. Father, may we understand your word today. May we see your great heart for, for people. And Lord, we, we, we know that to reject you is destruction. But we also know, Lord, that your plan is for your mercy. And that you don't give up. And as long as there is breath, there is hope. And Lord, so we pray. We pray today for um, your people. We pray for, um, for the Jews. We pray for, for, for Israel. We pray that they would come to, to understand and to know that you, Lord Jesus, have died for their sins and have risen again. And that you stand ready even right now to, to show them your incredible mercy. And Lord, help all of us, help, help all of us to understand not only uh, uh, your mercy for us, but also, Lord, your mercy for others so that we wouldn't be proud or, or uh, that we would, wouldn't forget um, that, that there's nobody outside of your love and there's no one uh, who, uh, that you're not seeking to save and seeking to show your mercy to. And Lord, help us. Help us to have that, that mind that mind and that attitude towards others, Lord. It's amazing to us, Lord, that even when people reject you, that you don't give up on them, that you can keep showing them mercy. And you show us mercy, Lord. And we thank you for your great mercy today that is active in our lives, for your mercy and your love. We pray. 
and we praise you today, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.